and your brothers with the Phantom were a huge game changer for us in the beginning. What if it was just a regular kind of show? They talked about pizzas and subs and Chinese food and ice cream. I think Phantom Gourmet is food and fun. Sopranos is not as good as Breaking Bad. No, we can have that debate. That's just <laughs> episode throw, two. I'm going to throw a curveball yeah. in that. I was slightly offended by that, I'm not going to lie. Welcome to the Behind the Rise podcast hosted by the Perina Brothers. My name is Angelo and I'm joined by my brothers and business partners, Lucho and Valentino. On this show, we will speak to successful local, national, and global entrepreneurs, as well as discuss lessons we've learned in our 15-year career building a nine-figure organization. We are in the middle of our journey now and want to share with you all the wins, losses, and lessons learned behind the rise. So today we have a very, very special guest, somebody near and dear to my heart. Dave Andelman, founder of The Phantom Gourmet. Welcome to the show. You know, I love you guys, and I love your restaurant, <laughs> but I'm driving up here, and I'm envisioning a big platter of meatballs and red wine or <laughs> biscotti and Italian coffee. I, this is all you gave me was water. I, 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 I mean, I thought I knew you guys better than this, but I'm happy to see you anyway. I'm going to be honest. I'm the only brother that doesn't drink coffee or tea or anything like that. Or so. eat meatballs. Yeah. I don't think anyone in the restaurant business has ever told me that they don't drink coffee. That yeah, is exactly. a serious rarity. Exactly. Big red flag coming from the corner over yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. It's all right. It is what it is. So, Dave, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. I know your time is valuable and you're a very busy man. Um, so we really appreciate you coming up. No, here. no, no. I love to see you guys. It's funny. Um, you know, I've been doing Phantom Gourmet for almost 30 years and I'm a big, big, big believer in small business. I, I think it's really the key to everything in America, right? Because no business starts with a hundred thousand employees. Right. They all start with small employees and that's what creates the money that, that pays for everything, whether it's schools or jails or every program that you want. And getting a job is what changes things for you and your family. Because once you get that job, you can demand a raise or a promotion or go work somewhere else or start your own business. So watching you guys do what you do uh, always warms my heart. Yeah, that's awesome. So one thing, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but you and your brothers with the Phantom were a huge game changer for us in the beginning. Um, you know, that's why when I said in the beginning, like near and dear to our heart, you really made a difference in us in the beginning. Well, we hear that a lot and it always yeah. makes me feel really good. I was just, uh, at a restaurant in New Hampshire guy comes over and he actually kisses me on the cheek and I sort of look at him and he goes, I've been telling people for 10 years, if I ever meet that Dave Andelman from Phantom Gourmet, I'm going to kiss him for what he did for my business. And, but it always makes me feel good when you uh, meet somebody and they say, you know, when I met you. I had one location and now I have five. Or when I met you, I had nine employees and now I have 900. And I'm not saying that I was the cause of that. But if you can uh, help somebody grow their business, that always makes me feel good. Oh, no, it was huge. So for us, when we had first started, we were, you know, we were in there, we were grinding, we were like learning, like we weren't very busy at all. And then we got the call that somebody from Phantom came in and they had liked the food and they wanted to come in and do a segment. And I remember it like, like it was yesterday. We were all like, holy shit, you know, <laughs> freaking out, yeah. like getting the place perfect. Like they're coming. Like, you remember like dad was up like day and we were overnight, day and night. Dad like, was going crazy. We were going nuts. The like cleaning. Yeah. cleaning. I remember we were scrubbing the walls, the ceilings, everything. Cause we wanted it to be perfect when you guys came in. So it was like a huge deal. And then I remember before there would be people who live in the town that, that we're in literally like. I went into Hannaford down the street one time and there was a, a cashier and I was like, I had a Toscana shirt. I was like, oh, where's that? 
I'm like, do you live in Peabody? She's like, oh yeah, I've lived here my whole life and I've never, I've never heard of it. I'm like, you're kidding me. You, you live, you literally drive past us for 30 years. Biggest slap in the face. Uh, but I, you know, I do find that entrepreneurs, we have this weakness, which is because we spend a hundred hours a week thinking about our business. We just assume that everybody everyone else is thinking about it. Too. And yeah. they are not. Exactly. So, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Something that I'm uh, proud of at Phantom Gourmet, and I, and I think our crew does a spectacular job. I mean, there aren't too many shows anymore locally, really, or nationally that are doing five-minute stories of the quality that we do. But I think right. we help change restaurant coverage in the sense that we weren't relying on PR firms and it wasn't all just celebrity chefs kind right. of thing. We were finding places like Toscana's and Peabody that maybe you didn't know about. Correct. And you yeah. could sit there and watch the show with your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife, your husband, and say, let's go there. And it was one of those places you never would have found. And you can probably park there and uh, get tremendous value and have the staff be excited you're there. Put it in the navigation system. Navigation systems really helped our business. So when I first started doing this, there really was no internet, right? So if you were in Newton and you wanted to go to Toscana's and Peabody, you'd have to find the phone number, call the restaurant, hope somebody picked it up, say, how do you get there? And invariably, because it's a transient industry, it'd be, hold on one second. Hey, Sully, how do you get to the restaurant? You know, they'd get back on there and say, if you go to the Sunoco, you went too far. But now you can watch our show and say, you know, let's take a drive. It yep. takes you right there. And the other thing I think about our show is it's viral in the sense that our audience, once they find Toscana's and Peabody, they tell a hundred of their friends, Correct. hey, I found this great place. Like it's a cool thing now to tell somebody, I got a restaurant you never heard of. Uh, there's another Italian restaurant that I love called uh, Da Vinci's. And I met them when they were in Boston. Now they're in Sudbury and they just opened a place in Waltham. Yep. You know, and our fancy friends who think they know everything about everything yep. will say, where can I go? And we'll mention Da Vinci's and be like, mm -hmm. I never heard of it. And they kind of look at you disdainfully like this can't be very good. And then we send them in there like, Wow, I got to admit, that restaurant is spectacular. Right. No, I can't go anywhere anymore since I started doing this where I'm not just holding court after four minutes. Where do you go for Italian? Where do you go for steak? What's the best restaurant in Newton? You know, my dad was uh, a guy that really sort of invented sports radio, and I like to talk about politics or business, but I have no choice. Right. Wherever I go, it is what's the best steakhouse in Boston. And it's funny, people are so opinionated about food now. You know, it's yeah. like some of my friends are ready to get into a fist fight over Capitol Grill or yeah. Chris. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, I don't think there's anybody who's tried more restaurants on earth than you know you and your brothers not too many we had this uh cameraman sean finley who was with us for uh 20 years and i think we calculated one day that he had shot four thousand restaurants something wow. like that and he's like not even my side the guy the guy's body was breaking down like an elephant in the circus you know he, he was like david i got aches and pains i can't do this anymore sean i think actually he filmed our spot if yeah. i remember right yeah sean finley yeah uh, we call him the goat i think he's one 12 Emmys or something like that. And by the way, a really great guy. You know, one thing that I think my crew doesn't get full credit for, my brother Danny in particular is, we're interviewing people that haven't been on TV before. And that's a real challenge. As oh, yeah. you know from coming into the Big studio, <laughs> you see the cameras and you see the lights. It's like a thousand lights up there and you walk past like these people you've been watching your whole life, Jack Williams, yeah, you know, right. and you think everything's on the line and every little stumble is going to cause your business to get ruined. Yes, and you get big time. And you get terrified. Yeah. So I think my crew is really, really, really good at like 
making you relax, 100%. making this all feel normal. And then before you know it, five minutes have gone by and you're like, geez, that was fun. That was not what I thought at all. I always tell my uh, my friends this story, but it's really true. Danny and I were uh, doing this show at TV 38, uh, um, a movie night type show, you know, where we would have, and we were playing, uh, I think it was Black Hawk Down. And we have this guest in studio and this kid had been a... Uh, a medical type. They were flying him into Iraq on a helicopter wow. to work on wounded soldiers, go back up in the helicopter and get back behind enemy lines. We bring this guy in to interview him and he was terrified, terrified. Oh, wow. And I look at this guy and I go, you flew helicopters into the middle of Iraq under gunfire, right? Was that scary? He goes, no, I was trained to do that. That didn't make me uptight at all. Right now I'm ready to pass out. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. So if someone were to ask you, like, what is Phantom Gourmet? What would be, like, your three to four sentence description of what Phantom Gourmet is for anyone who doesn't know what it is? Well, I think Phantom Gourmet is food and fun. The show really is designed in such a way that you sit there with, like I said, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, have some fun, have some laughs, and say, you know what, why don't we go there for lunch? Why don't we go there for dinner? This Thursday we're meeting 10 people. How about we go to that place? And that's really what we do. You know, uh, life has gotten very, very serious since the pandemic. And I think that we all need to just kind of chill and Phantom Gourmet. Everybody has a smile on their place. It's just about food and fun and having a good time. And uh, I think the show is really getting more and more popular for that reason. We all just need an escape. And luckily for me, when I first started doing this, there weren't that many restaurants in Boston. You know, there was Anthony's Pier 4 and Durgan Park, and there was some interest in food and restaurants. But now, I mean, it may be the number one hobby in America going out to eat. I mean, yes. right up there with sports. It's something that people like to do, like to talk about. And another thing that I think is really great about restaurants, first of all, it provides incredible opportunity for people, you know, minorities and women in particular. You don't need connections. You don't need fancy education. If you want to bust your ass, you can be successful exactly. in restaurants. But it also really allows you to have a great night out you know, with your girlfriend if you don't have a ton of money. Right. You know, so I was at Cape Cod Cafe in Brockton the other night. You want to take a girl on a date, you know, you can have a pizza and a couple of beers for $40, live like kings, really enjoy each other's right. company. And uh, that's part of the reason that I'm so passionate about the industry. Yeah, no, it's true. And I remember during COVID, like how much work you were doing to help support the restaurants. I mean, you were doing Facebook Lives every night. For, like pushing people to get takeout, ordering takeout from everywhere. It was really something. Like you made it like your mission during that time, during the lockdown, to really help everybody that was in the industry. Well, we did. Um, we have always been very passionate about small business. Most of my close friends are business owners only because we seem to understand each other. We're always thinking about our business. We like to get, get together at their bar and yep. just talk things over. What are you doing? What are you hearing? You know, I, I, I was so fortunate in my life, first of all, to be born in Boston. Second of all, to have great parents. Third of all, to be born healthy and to be able to, um, you know, have my parents have the resources to send me not just through college, but through law school and business school at the same time. I got a second education being around some of the top entrepreneurs in Massachusetts. And um, at the time that the pandemic first started, I knew how serious it was from a business perspective. Right. Because there aren't many 
Googles in the world that are sitting there with a hundred billion in cash and they right. can ride things out for nine years. Correct. Most people have to pay their rent, pay their utilities, pay their debt. So my brother Mike and I were uh, as much therapists as promoters going around to our friends and saying, look, it's going to be okay. Or I'll tell you what, let's go old school. Leave a bottle of bourbon on the table. We'll Uber home. Let's yeah. have a couple of drinks and talk about what we're all going to do here. And you're right. We were doing everything that we possibly could to say, okay, look, you got to eat. Right. Get takeout, get delivery, be safe, but let's support our local businesses. Because, you know, I was scared and I was scared for them. I really was. Yeah. It was a... It was a in such a way, in so many ways, it was such a difficult time. And I think one of the only positive things that came out of it was better outdoor dining. I know you guys right. have that beautiful space now. Yeah, TV. exactly. I try to eat there at least uh, once during the summer and just, you know, be outside with Italian red wine and some food and just, you know, enjoy the nice weather. Yeah, and takeout. Takeout has... That's you know, permanent. That's a permanent change. I, in the it bed. definitely is. Like it, it didn't go back to pre-pandemic levels. It wasn't. We're not at like peak pandemic levels, but still, it's much higher than before. It's a I huge never thing. used to get delivery, but uh, the pandemic and Uber Eats changed things for me definitely. Because once you have that app, and once they have your credit card, and I did it last night. You can go through and say, okay, what am I in the mood for? Great right. food, India. I eat a lot of ethnic food. So I usually start with, okay, what do you have for Cuban, yep. Indian, Greek food? And the restaurants got better at it. Yes. The packaging got better. Correct. The delivery services got better. Right. And I think, you know, a lot of Americans now have their gigantic TV. Right. And you're sitting there watching nine straight hours of Yellowstone and mm -hmm. you don't want to get off the couch. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's it's something that I never used to do, but I do it periodically now. And I think one thing that happens that is to the benefit of the restaurant industry is I find places on Uber Eats. So like there's an Indian place in Arlington that I never would have found yeah. if it wasn't for Uber Eats. And now I go all the time. Or right. Hero, I happen to love Greek food. Hero City in Brighton, I became a huge customer of theirs as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, once you try it and all of a sudden it's in your rotation, yeah. it's in your purview now. So Dave, take us back to like, you know, your childhood. Like what made you, I know, you know, your father um, is a huge influence in you. You know, you're, you work with your brothers now, which is very similar to us. There's not that many three brother combos no, you really don't that make that it that, that far. They still like each other. That, exactly. <laughs> like you guys real. get along great. You yeah, know, we do. talk, you know, a little bit about your childhood, you know, like how things were there and, you know, what led you to get into the Phantom? Well, my dad was uh, a really spectacular radio talk show host. A lot of people call him the godfather of sports radio. Um, I know guys like Chris Berman and Frank DeFord absolutely worship my dad, you know, saying uh, what a trailblazer he was. But when you grow up like that, you don't really think about it. Um, I just had a discussion with my parents about this. When I was 16, he was doing Sunday night radio in Boston, 7 to 11. And there was no internet at that time. So, uh, and I was learning to drive and he'd drive to a gigantic Cadillac. And I used to drive him into work at about 4, 4.30. And I'd put together the sports scoreboards using the uh, AP wire. And I'd write it all down for him. And then I'd answer the phones from 7 to 11 and put the callers on and off. You know, you got to screen the calls. Hey, what do you want to talk about? You know, and sometimes, I mean, these calls would just say vile things to me. You know, they've been <laughs> drinking all day. They lost their sports badge. You know, they said, David Elman, yeah. And it was like, and I, you know, again, I was a 16-year-old kid. 
I'd answer the phones till 11. We'd drive home, talk about the show, go to bed at like 1230. And I never thought that was weird. Mm, That's (laughs) awesome. That's just how I grew up, you know, but I learned a lot about, uh, about media and about business. And then, um, when I was done with college, I had a year where I sort of refereed basketball games and bartended. I decided I was going to do a four year program at, uh, Northeastern where you get your MBA and your law degree and, um, started Phantom Gourmet at that time, you know, part-time. And then I passed the bar and everything. And I just assumed that I was going to be flooded with job offers, be the president of my company. You're an attorney in an MBA Mm. and I didn't get one. So, <laughs> and what year is that? Like, what's the what timeline? Let me see. I graduated college in '92, graduate school in '97. So '97, you know, I'm a young guy. I must have been 27. And I t- remember calling my dad. I said, "I think I'm going to go into business myself." And he said, uh, "Okay, but you're going to have to get up every day, shave, shower." I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. You know, I'm like what? I see what he means now because I was going down a weird path. I never had like colleagues where we went out to work after work. I was like buying my own health insurance. I was renting office space in Chestnut Hill. I was living a whole other weird life that uh, my friends didn't understand, didn't get. And uh, then when Danny graduated college, he was my first full-time employee. He taught himself how to produce a show. And, uh, by the, I think we were on cable for 10 years after 10 years, we started getting recruited by the broadcast stations. My brother, Michael had gone to Georgetown business school. He decided he was going to come on board with us. And that's when we signed with CBS Boston, which is channel four and channel 38 in this market. And that's like going from AAA to the majors, you know, it was like, Whoa, this is a whole other thing. That's when people really started to recognize us and, things started to take off. Yeah, that's I, awesome. I have a question. So how did it end up getting from idea to executing that idea? Because you know, there's, there's three brothers, and then how does your brothers kind of fit into that? Whole well, you know, quite honestly, uh, I think part of being an entrepreneur is being humble. And it started as a restaurant review show. You know, we were doing, we had a, a critic and we were doing five reviews. And then when the internet came around, I realized now everybody was a restaurant critic and reviews were kind of boring to my crew. And I think sort of boring to my audience. And at that point I decided that I want us to be in the information and entertainment business. So those resources that we were spending on reviews, we started using to find restaurants, you know, and started adding to our production crew and saying, how about we just give you a super entertaining hour of television? Yeah. And uh, Danny, who really was uh, sort of hosting the show in the sense that he was really doing everything except putting his mug on air. We made him the host. He was tremendous at it. I mean, he was just always a natural performer. You know, he had been a child actor and he, he has that personality. Big time. Yeah. I Big mean, he's time. just, he, Danny does not have a shy bone in his body. He can go up in front of a thousand people, 10,000 people. He wouldn't be the slightest uptight about it. He's one of those guys. Um, that really is his personality that you see on TV. It is, huh? He is the nicest kid. My father and I always laugh about it. 
I say, dad, I totally understand why someone wants to punch you or me in the face. Like we're opinionated. <laughs> we may not be exactly for you. If you don't like Danny, there's something severely wrong with you. You're right. just like my mother. And then uh, my brother, Mike, is just a really smart guy. You know, he, he could have worked at Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan or something like that. And um, instead he decided to come on with us. You know, he thought that we had a lot of potential. And then, um, you know, besides TV, we went into the gift card business, the events business. We wound up buying uh, Mendon Twin Drive-In. So I'd love to tell you that, you know, at that time I had this grand plan of exactly what we were going to be. But I didn't. And I see some entrepreneurs, they've got their five-year plan, their 10-year plan. I have trouble having a one-year plan. Right. You know, I just looked at what I wrote last December. Here's what we're going to do this year. I was wrong about three or four pretty major things and yeah. already had changed my mind. Nope, we're going in a different direction. No, because there's always things that are going on in your company and there's always things that are going on outside your company. You know, like, like you said, delivery, like right. there's this whole thing, right? When I first started doing Phantom Gourmet, there was no navigation systems. There was no internet. There was no Facebook, you know? Yeah. Now I have an employee who all she does is run our Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, like that is her job because it's become a big part of our business. Yeah, and you guys have a great following on social. We have over a million fans on social media, and I think what's so cool about it is uh, you can reach out to your fans now anywhere at any time. Right. You know, so you can say, hey, I got to take out a client on Friday night. Where would you go? Right. Or my friend just ordered chicken parm with a side of vegetables. Should I walk out of the restaurant? Or, you know, tripe makes me sick. My friend insists on getting it. How do we solve this problem? Or, you know, do you tip the full 20, 25% on takeout? And you, you can really engage with your audience. But I think what um, always makes me feel good, particularly it seems like on Instagram, we'll post a picture and then you see hundreds or thousands of people saying, Angela, we should go to this place. Yeah. Or Marie, your mom's coming in on Sunday. This is the place we should have. Or how about this for our baby shower? Everybody talking right. about, should we go here? I think that's really cool. The thing that has disappointed me about social media in the internet is I thought when I first saw it, when my first crew showed me what Facebook was and all this, I said, this is going to be such a great place for people of like interests to meet each other right. and discuss their common interests. But there's so much of it is, well, I hate you because you said this. Exactly. I, I, it went in a in a weird direction, and I'm hoping that it circles back to more of a, right. yeah, you're like me. Can we get together? Because, you know, I, I just think it's such a great way to meet business people or to say, hey, I'm looking for this. Right. I, I think that's so cool about it. Yeah, it's turned into just like uh, like a mar like a place where just people go to argue and fight out their differences. It's like people they when they get behind the keyboard, they'll say things that they would never say in person. Well, some, but there's a lot of positivity to it too. You know, I mean, I love the way that uh, you know your restaurant can say, "Come in on Friday." Right. We're doing a two for one lobster special, and right. you can get people excited about what you're up to. Exactly, and you're instantly boom in front of all those all those it's eyes. It's a really cool way to communicate with your customers. Yep, absolutely. And then I have a question. What made you get, because now we're thinking back, right? I'm trying to think about this timeline. You graduated, you got a law degree, your dad's a savage warrior, um, and now you're like, 
I'm gonna get into food reviews. You know, like <laughs> like, wh- like where did like the, the the food review restaurant kind of turn into? Well, what happened was my dad was working in sports, but he really always just used that as a backdrop for whatever he felt like talking about. Now, don't forget, my dad started when I was a baby, and it was just guys that got on the air and talked for three hours about whether the Red Sox should have bunted in the second inning. Mm-hmm. My dad gets on there and says, my wife hates me because she wants to go to the ballet and all I want to do is eat Kowloon and watch the Celtics go. <laughs> or the Red Sox don't have onions at the concession stand. Like, I, no one had ever done anything even remotely like that. And there was a good amount of stuff about sports and there was a good amount of stuff about politics. Anything about food was really either recipes or very high-end dining. And he and I had talked about, what if it was just a regular kind of show that talked about pizzas and subs and Chinese food and ice cream? And the concept evolved from there, um, although it's a very, very, very different thing than what we were doing 30 years ago. But that's business, right? I mean, I think anybody that's doing what they were doing 30 years ago is most likely out of business. You have the very rare exception, like Kelly's Roast Beef, in Revere, right. still doing what they were doing. Right. But those are one in a million type businesses. Exactly. Most people, if they're not changing, updating, you know, I, I, I've become a student of the business of restaurants. Some of the people in the industry that have, you know, thousands of employees will call me and say, hey, I want to buy you a drink. Can we talk about what's going on? And I always say, if I'm in your dining room or your bar, and I'm on the younger end of your customer base, you're in trouble. You better, right. you, you, yeah, better exactly. you better start reinventing yourself. Exactly. <laughs> I remember that was the thing when we first got into our restaurant. We were looking in the dining room and it was just it was like the looking at the white mountains in the dining room, all white here. <laughs> and uh, we were looking at each other like, listen, if we don't do something, our entire clientele is gonna be dead within yeah. like three years. That's you right. know? So we gotta stop doing the early bird like baked haddock special. Like we gotta started shifting our strategy and we started pivoting and making changes along the way to make it more younger, more vibrant. You, you watch um, some families, second, third generation, they get lazy, they get greedy, they never update the menu, right. they never update the signage, they got a carpet. You know, you know right. a restaurant has been around for a long time now if they have carpet. I don't think anybody's really building restaurants right. with carpet anymore. Right. It's the... Um, Immigrant families, it seems to me, that are hungry and are always reinvesting back into the business, which is why I think you'll always have families in America moving up and down the income scale. Right. It's just it's just the natural way that it works. Yeah, the immigrant edge. We talk about that all the time. It's true. Let me tell you something. I've been studying business. I, I, def, I think in court I would be certified as a small business expert to testify. <laughs> I'm telling you for a fact. That's what tends to happen. Yeah. You know, one thing that my dad likes about my brothers and I is we're workers. Right. We are workers. Right. But it wasn't that long ago that our great grandparents came over here from Europe with nothing. Right. So uh, I always think about the idea that if you could show them like what I have, my home, my car, right. be like this kid's going to live on the moon. Yeah, exactly. And it's only two or three generations later, which is one of the things that I absolutely love about America. You, you can't do that everywhere in the world. But right. You can do it here. That's a fact. Speaking of like back then, right? So when you guys first started doing like the, the reviews, it was just TV. Like there's no yes. social media back there. There's right. no YouTube back there. So can you say like what, what was the difference then compared to now? Like broadcasting, where you're putting your efforts, all that. Well, we were doing an hour a week 
show on cable television and we were doing it live and we had no full-time employees. And I'm not sure I had too much of a vision beyond that, except I do laugh every once in a while. I'll go to a restaurant and in the lobby, there's a letter from me and a Phantom Gourmet certificate of award. And I think we first started sending them in 1993. And I'll tell you why it makes me laugh. No one was watching. No one knew what Phantom Gourmet was. But here was this kid sending certificates out to a restaurant saying, you should hang this in the lobby and really be proud of it. And I guess I had a vision. I'm not sure I knew the word brand, but I guess I had a vision that that was going to mean something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, did I know that we were going to buy a drive-in movie theater or have a, all these other outlets? Or We didn't get into the events until uh, business until 2003, I think. We had just moved to Channel 4 and Channel 38. And um, this guy named Patrick Lyons, who uh, I think they should rename um, Lansdowne Street, Lyons Street, because... Yeah, and Patrick, um, he owns Summer Shack and Kings and a lot of those places that are on Lansdowne Street and Sanzi. You know, he's a pretty big-time player in the industry. And um, I didn't know him really at that time, except that I used to go to some of his bars. I knew who he was. And I went to him with this idea to do an event on Lansdowne Street, and it was going to be like sort of boston's food so we were going to have a north end and a chinatown and we were going to block it off and sell tickets and i went in there his office used to be at seven Lansdowne street i remember i went in i talked to him about it and he said okay i like it let's do it and i left and i told my brother michael about it and he said you're kidding right i said no he goes I, I, david i know you're kidding i said no he goes this is huge hmm. and i said why and he said because that guy knows what's going to be cool and he's decided that we're going to be cool yeah and so we did it and like so many people came, it was a disaster. <laughs> I, I, I just, I didn't know that business. I didn't do a good job of it. Um, but the thing that was positive was we had a very big following and, uh, and people liked the idea. Mm. And so the next year we got better. By the third year, we were really in our groove. It evolved into like a 10,000 person block party. We got really good at that business. And, um, you know, now we usually do a few major events a year. And uh, I, I, I dig that business. You know, it's weird. Radio and TV and social media are great. And you see these huge numbers, but it's hard to calculate the number of people that are following you. But when you do an event like that and there's 10,000 of your fans, a lot of them dressed in purple, right. you're like, whoa, this is a lot of people that are following this thing. You know? Those events, you know, the Phantom Food Festival is the one that we've done a few times. I mean, the amount of people, I still have like <laughs> these stories. Do you remember the first one we did? When they, at, the Rolatini. These are the meatballs. So we were, we were like, you guys were telling us like there's gonna be a lot of people like be prepared yeah, this yeah. and that it's really all right yeah so we rent the u-haul truck <laughs> we had one of my a couple of my friends who are actually my they were like my good childhood friends but they're our, my pl our plumbers that we use all the time <laughs> so they came with us bob steve and then we had a couple like bartenders that came with us and we rented a u-haul truck we were up all night making rollatinis and meatballs and stuff and then we loaded up at like five in the morning so we're on our way down to you know to the where it is and we're in the U-Haul. First of all, I go down Starro Drive with the U-Haul. And if everybody <laughs> knows, that, that so I, I'm about to right, go. Everybody's watching the news going, another moron. Yeah. I'm about to go 60 miles an hour right into the bridge. And then Steve in the, in the truck behind me was like, dude, stop, stop, stop. So I had to, I slammed in the brakes, like literally five feet before hitting the bridge. 
turn around. And, and then like we had to back up. It was like a big thing. <laughs> so then we get there, we unload. To this day, every time I see these guys, they're like, uh, can I get you another Rolotini? Can I get you another Rolotini? <laughs> the amount of Rolotinis and meatballs uh, that crazy. we gave uh, out that day, like scarred. We were like scarred over. We were like 10 hours, yeah. couldn't keep enough couldn't keep them in enough. It was it was absolutely was one year insane. We calculated we gave out a half a million pieces of food in four or five hours. I felt like four hundred thousand of those pieces came directly from us. <laughs> like it was like it never stopped. I mean, it yeah. was like incredible. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, something that I always loved about our events business is that after a while. It started to become like an all-star game for Phantom Gourmet fans. Yeah. We would only invite the people that we knew could do a great job, the places that our fans would be excited about. And if you watch the show, it's your chance to try dozens of places on one day in one location. And because of satellite TV, I was always amazed by the number of people who would come up to me on the street and say, we came down from Canada, we came from Memphis. We watch a show every week, and we figured this was our chance to try all these places. Wait, so you're you broadcast in more than just New England? Well, our show is on in uh, Maine and Rhode Island, yep. but through the satellite packages, I see. yes, it does go all over. You also can get the show on YouTube, and I think now you have people that really just know the show from social media. Yeah, I'm not even sure they know we have a TV show, right? But you're watching because we're posting thousands of times a year. So if that's your thing. And for people who moved out of New England, they watch it yep. and say that you guys remind me of home. Yeah. So now there's a lot of traction. I see there's a ton of traction with Phantom Gourmet. Every, like everyone knows what Phantom Gourmet is. Everybody. But now let's go back a little bit, right? Where did you see in the beginning, like, because usually it was with startups, it becomes like, okay, I'm going to try this, see if it works. Then it's like, okay, there's a point of like, this is working. Let's double down and actually make this like a real business. Did you have one of those moments? Yeah, we did. I would actually uh, give my brother Michael credit. We were on cable and um, Mike basically said, look, we got to take over this whole thing completely. You got to go to a broadcast station. You know, I want to come on board. We, we can really make this thing fly. And, uh, you know, once you go from um, uh, at that time, you know, it was a fairly small cable station. And once you go to two of the big five you know, um, over the air signals. It's a, a whole other level of popularity. Yeah. And you knew it pretty quickly. You, you're walking around on the street and people are going, Hey, love the show. Love right. What you do restaurants that get featured are calling you and go, Oh my God, you guys didn't tell me what was about to happen here. Um, but I can't really tell you like, there was a moment when I said, I got a great idea here, or this is the moment that changed things. It was just evolution and, and still is, right? You look around, mm -hmm. uh, my, my friend Patrick Lyons says, you're always in crisis mode or expansion mode and the tough thing is to figure out which one you're in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because like at 10 a.m. I'll be like, we are not doing a good job. And I'm at 2 p.m. I'm like, we got a great organization. <laughs> we, are, we are killing it. I think all entrepreneurs you're feel that exactly way. Like so us, yeah. It's always a matter of, my brother Michael likes to say that um, Wayne Gretzky's quote was, 
I skated to where the puck was going to be, not where it is. Mm. So I think we're all always trying to figure Love that. out where's this thing's going, where we're going to be. Jasper White from Summer Shack, one of my uh, favorite restaurants. Michael got married there. Uh, mm. He used to say, how you're doing now is a reflection of how you were doing six months ago. And I, yeah. I tend to find that to be true. You can't, you can't turn the ship right now. Exactly. You, you got to be making moves right now. When, when, we do, when we do an event, I like to know... I like to have the date locked a year in advance, hmm. a full year. And I know people think I'm insane, but you know, you want to start recruiting your vendors and right. have your fans put it on their calendar. And, Cause you always wish you had more time. Always. You always wish. Exactly. I know you guys are about to open a new restaurant. Yeah. I find most restaurant openings, no matter how hard you work, how diligent you are, yeah. how well funded you are, they're, cleaning things up at three o'clock that afternoon, hoping that the health inspector comes over and says, okay, you can open it. It's just, exactly. it's just the way it yeah. especially now I found since the pandemic, everything takes longer. Everything yes. is just much harder than it used to be. We, we just did a contract with a big company and it was like something that should have been over in six days took six months. Yeah. No, cause their attorney is at his house in the Hamptons and the president is here and the other guy, your attorney is here. And it's just like, you can't get everybody together. Yeah, exactly. you used to. It's so hard. So an email goes out and nobody's around to get it. And then by the time everybody gets it, they got to remind themselves where they were. <laughs> Everything is just much harder. You know, I, when people ask me about business, I always say it's just so hard because mm -hmm. you're always just, the landlord wants more. You lose a good customer. A good employee decides that he's going to move to Colorado. You know, yeah. your energy bill goes up. And it just, it never stops. But I think business owners are worn out because the last three years you were dealing with so many obstacles. Yeah. It was like the phone would ring every day and you're like, what? Yeah. I remember at the drive-in saying <laughs> to the uh, food service company that we use, they couldn't get any frozen uh, popcorn chicken mm. and any um, soft serve ice cream. Yeah. And I was like, what? On this planet, yeah. there's no frozen chicken or ice cream. It has to be somewhere on the planet. Yeah. But it was like, that's just the world that we've been living in. And, and, I, and I wish that um, customers were a little more sensitive to just how difficult this is. Something, a trend that I do not like is the customer going from zero to 60. Yeah. Now, I guess you want to yell and scream at somebody like me. Fine. I signed on for that. But hardworking people, cooks, waiters, waitresses, yeah. bartenders, I just think that's not cool. Or, or yeah, I know you guys are about to open a new place. And sometimes I'll see a restaurant open in some small town. And some customer says, you know, I went there. I call upon no one to ever go there. I'm like, that's really what you want to happen? Right. You want this guy to lose this business, fire all his employees, pay no taxes, give everybody else nowhere to go. You know, I, I, I just don't like that trend. If you don't like a place, you have every right not to go. Correct. Or tell your friends you didn't like it. But um, that zero to 60 thing on working people is not cool. I'm glad that society is taking bullying more seriously. It should. Yeah. Nobody should be picked on for who they are. Right. But for some reason, we're still allowing it of working people. And, and I'd like that to stop. Yeah. That's a good, that's a really good point. Yeah. Like the expectations for like one of the hardest things during COVID was the expectations for service and quality of food was higher, was its highest ever. Yes. And it was 10 times harder to execute on that. You yep. couldn't find good workers. You couldn't get good product in. Like the same steak or whatever that we were using, we can't get anymore. Like we're using alternative things. Like we're making the best of it. And But people's expectations were higher than they were previous, you know? And then now we have to charge more 
because of what's happening. Know, and all they're, the, they're taking it out on you. It's, exactly. It's not your fault. I mean, we just got our drive-in energy bill. I think it's close to triple what we were paying yes. a while back. And, and, you know, we can sustain it. But there's small businesses out there. It, it's hard to keep the lights on. Right. And uh, there's been a real crisis in labor. I mean, pretty much every business I talk to, they're ready to rip their hair out. Now, maybe right. it's a little bit better. If you're in... Uh, Malden, you're near a tea stop and the rent isn't that yep. expensive and it's a dinner restaurant, you know, where you're making 20% of a good amount of money and yeah. you can do it. Yeah. But um, in places where you have to drive that opened a lot of restaurants, Dedham or Burlington or places in the back bay where you can't afford to live there if you're a dishwasher and right. you really can't afford to take Uber home because the tea is closed, you know, they got a real problem that they're dealing yep. with. Yeah. Yep. We've been so lucky in that department. And I, I tell people all the time, like I literally like, thank God, like how lucky we've been in that department, but there's, there's absolute nightmare stories out there. And I'm sure you're seeing it everywhere. Like you said, well, in your, uh, in your defense or to your credit, I think you guys do a good job of taking good care of your people, you know, treating them well, paying them well. And I think business owners that are like that are being rewarded. Right. You have some of the old school owners that would pay the bare minimum. That they <laughs> right, exactly. And at that point, okay, if the employee can make another dollar an hour, he's going to leave. I mean, right. you know, in my business, I always figured in the end, it was cheaper to give them really good salaries, really good benefits. You know, be, I'd do it anyway, but yes. it's cheaper because then they're not, uh, you know, all day looking for a better job. Exactly. You it, know, and, and it's very expensive to find somebody, interview them train them yes. i think with our company it takes me at least six months to get someone to the point where they're really performing at a hundred percent at least six months yes and now in the restaurant you don't have six months you have like six hours before the next <laughs> dinner service so like <laughs> if you if you lose lose like a fry guy yeah, who's yeah. really really good i i just had to a, get someone I? trained i mean you can you can lose like 20 customers over a, a day right. period two day period yeah. if you don't have somebody good in that station I was just, I just had a, I was just out with a bunch of guys uh, that own, uh, own restaurants. One guy has 4,000 employees. One guy has 80 employees. And I said, look, I go out a thousand times a year. I have adopted a new attitude in the restaurant business mm. because I understand that, you know, you guys are, you, you have no choice. You got to find somebody and put them out there. And if I order a bourbon mm. and they bring me a Corona, mm -hmm. I just drink it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just drink it. Yeah. I'm just. I'm happy to be out. And I, I mean, I was saying before, like very little good came out of the pandemic. But I'll tell you one thing that I did try to take out of it. Mm. Um, I'm so happy now when mm. I sit down at a bar or a yes. coffee shop or a restaurant. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Right. Something you just took for granted your whole life. You know when when they reopened Cafe Nero in Brookline after it had been closed for I don't know how long during the pandemic. I sat there for like three hours. I was so happy, you know. Right. I, got, I brought a book. I brought my Kindle, my Wall Street Journal. I ordered a coffee, a water, another coffee, a pastry. I was like, so great to be out of our house. You know, humans are social animals. We were not meant to be locked in cages for two years. And I, I feel really bad. I think there is so much drug abuse, alcohol abuse, depression. Like, yeah. I don't think we have fully wrapped our arms around all right. the problems that we're dealing with right now. Right. I've heard, I'm sure you guys have heard it. I've heard so many horror stories and I just really feel for people that are struggling, Kid, kids in particular. Yeah, like so my, uh, I had a daughter born in the middle of uh, the pandemic. So she's like a COVID baby, right? So like she is so attached. Like she, 
it's like uh it's it's crazy like my my wife because she was they were in the house all the time together right, right like yeah. can't put her down like she's always like so she's having a tough time yeah. transitioning into like school and stuff like that because then there's millions and millions of kids out there but one thing's for sure is that people were meant to be with other people to be social this there's experiment a, there's a theory of yeah. human evolution that part of the reason besides strength and speed and your heart and everything else is your ability to get along with other people correct because as tribes were moving around if you couldn't get along with the other people you had nobody to watch your back right a lion could eat you at <laughs> night so i'm not saying that that's true or it's not true <laughs> i am saying that i knew for a fact that as soon as they allowed concerts events bars restaurants people would go back to their old habits because yeah i remember i when the marathon bombs went off i was inside that bar forum oh really yeah i was right there wow and i remember people saying nobody's ever going to come to the marathon anymore and i ran it the next year and they were nine deep mm. from hopkinton through the back bay that's awesome so i i don't care people are always going to want to go out see each other our drive-in, um, you know, we managed to get it open during the pandemic after taking a lot of safety procedures and it had a record year and it's had, you know, a great year afterward. People went. It, it's fun to be around other yeah. people. The, the vibe is just great. You know, we, we did uh, two years ago, we did the Phantom Gourmet Food Festival on Moody Street in Waltham. Yeah. I think we had our biggest day of ticket sales the first day we put it on sale ever in our in our 20 year history in the business people were so excited to be out i remember grabbing my brother danny uh on the street you know at two or three and you know we're running around that day like maniacs and we both basically said the same thing at the same time man i haven't felt this good in two years yeah <laughs> you know, like awesome. i just i felt so happy like people yeah. are you know they're making money and they're marketing their businesses and they're smiling and you know i when i do an event the thing that makes me feel best is to see groups of people taking pictures yeah i know that we're creating a day that they want to remember and they want right. to tell other people about there's nothing better than launching an event and getting tickets right away. I feel like the work, because I used to be in the event space a little bit. <laughs> when you launch an event in like the first two days, there's no sales. You're like, shit. <laughs> but when you launch an event and the hundreds of sales go off right away, you're yeah. like, yes, yeah, we got yeah, something. I'm sure in the beginning that was a thing for you. Now it's like, you put it out there, there's, there's sound. No, look, uh, I always think... I have a good feel for what people are going to want to do. And, and the way that I tend to operate is I ask smart people inside and outside of my yeah. organization, what do you think? Yeah. And if as a rule, they all go, that sounds great. It's a winner. Yeah. And if as a rule, they sort of say, I, I don't understand what you're talking about, David. It's probably a loser. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and now you have uh, social, we have a million social media events. You know, right. You could say, hey, how about a barbecue event in October? And uh, that kind of yeah. helps let you know. Um, but, you know, media is a weird business. I mean, I, I know that there was times that I said stuff on TV uh, and people would mention it to me months and years later. Mm. There was other times I said something that I thought was super clever. And nobody got it. So <laughs> I don't know, especially uh, I think media is a super weird business. I like that show Pawn Stars, me and my dad. Oh, like I love it. that show. Yeah, and we call each other. You can binge I, the hell I, I, out I, of I that. I called my dad a couple months ago. I go, dad, the sound of the Pope's slippers. He goes, I know I'm watching it right now, <laughs> but I hate that show Pickers. Now it's basically the same show. Why right. do I like the Pawn Stars guys? As a, I don't know. That's just, that's the business. right? Yeah, that's funny. Can you talk about the evolution? Of, because I think media is probably one of the biggest 
changing industries. If you look at the past 30 years, what changed the most? Media is like, holy shit, what's changed? Yeah. Can you talk about like the pivots along the way or like when social media was a thing, kind of what your pivot into social media was compared to like traditional media? Well, I remember when AOL bought Time Warner, I was like, wait a minute. AOL is worth more than Time Warner. Like wow. Time Warner is a big media company. Now, as it turned out, that was maybe the worst merger in the history of corporate America. It was an absolute disaster. Hmm. I remember everybody telling me, like, you got to get into the internet. There's going to be no television, you know? And I was like, well, I don't know. If that happens, then we'll stop doing television. But I'm not making an all-in bet on the internet right. as of right now. Um in a way, I think we're living in a golden era of television because these shows like Yellowstone or Sopranos or Breaking Bad, which I think is the greatest show in the history of television. You know, some of yeah. my Italian friends in particular get riled up when I say Sopranos is not as good as Breaking Bad and they start mm. yelling with the yelling and screaming. Yeah, I mean, curveball. we can have that debate. That's just <laughs> episode I'm throw, two. I'm going to throw a curveball yeah. in that, in that I conversation. I offended by that. I'm going <laughs> to throw everyone under the bus here and it's Game of Thrones and there's no competition. Game of Thrones, you definitely can make the argument that was the greatest show ever in this sense. Yeah. There was 50 super compelling characters in that show. Right. And what they did visually was so spectacular. I don't know what else you would compare it to. I mean, they're riding around in fire-breathing dragons and you're buying it. You're not, you're not like, this is weird. Um, but that was also emblematic to me of a certain problem in media and society in general, which is the show ends. It's this incredible human achievement between the actors and the technical people and the writers, what they did creating that world was so incredible. And it gave me so many hours of enjoyment and so many millions of people, I don't know, a billion hours of entertainment. And then people are on the internet saying that ending was awful and I, they ruined right. it. And it's just like, but do you see what they just did? Right, exactly. <laughs> like, like I just sit there in awe of how spectacular it was. Right. So I think that, um, and, and this is not just media, but it's in business, which is that, you know, they can really get to you now very quickly. You know, when my dad was doing radio, you had to write a letter to him to say, hey, dad, you know, Eddie, uh, I hate you. <laughs> they, can, they can email you in five seconds. They can do the same thing at your restaurant, right? I mean, I always tell people, if you have a problem at a, at a restaurant, if you really have a problem, you can send a, a certified letter and say, here's a copy of my receipt. Right. And this was a total disaster. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, go from zero to 60. I, I don't know right. why people... Um, getting back to the media question. Look, I think all the media companies, I guess mine included, are trying to figure out where is all this headed, Right. Um, are we going to have traditional TV? I certainly think that the news business is struggling. Yeah. You know, my the, friends have been talking about that. He's in that business. There's a, there's maybe too many news stations. You know, maybe some of them can't do it anymore. Um, maybe the model will change, you know, maybe, uh, Netflix will start doing a, a nightly newscast. You know, mm. I could see something like that happen. Um, sports are bigger than ever. You know, the, the, the rights fees that the NFL is getting Crazy. are outrageous. Crazy. Um, I think the Celtics, because of TV now, are worth $4 billion. They bought them for $380 million. Wow. Um, I'm a massive boxing fan, and people like to talk about the demise of boxing, but boxing isn't 
free on Channel 7 on Sunday afternoons now. You know, mm. you pay $80 for a fight. Right. And Floyd Mayweather is probably the highest paid athlete ever. Like, right. He makes way more than Tom Brady. Yeah. So um, I know the technology has really improved in production. Our show looks better than it ever did. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can see the steam coming off the food with the lights and the audio. Um, the TVs are way better than they used to be. Right? Yeah. I mean, you can buy now a 75-inch TV or a 60-inch TV. And, it, you know, I'm not saying it's cheap, but it's a hell of a lot more affordable than it used to be. 100%. Um, so where's it all headed? You know, I don't know. I'm reading a book right now about YouTube. And when YouTube first came out, some of the big companies were trying to stop YouTube from using clips of their shows. And eventually YouTube convinced them that they could be partners. You know, I think people are definitely finding Phantom Gourmet through social media. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, the show is as popular or more popular than it ever was. Yeah. Um, are some of these cable stations going to go away that have small followings? I think that's going to happen. Um, I've as somebody reads the Wall Street Journal every day, I never really tend to believe in the philosophy that we got to just get bigger, 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 bigger. Usually that strategy doesn't work. Right. You know, yep. and they're, they're, run, they're unwinding AT&T right now because they realize that guys that sell cell phones probably aren't the right guys to run HBO. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you're like a trailblazer in the food, like reviewing space. I mean, right now there's like guys like David Portnoy. There's this new guy that just went on TikTok who just, helped that restaurant in Las Vegas. I'm not sure if you guys saw that, but I feel like you literally were like the first original like food reviewer. No, I, I can't say that, but I can say that um, I'm proud. I think that my crew helped change the coverage of restaurants. I don't think before us, anybody was going out to Worcester to find a place for cannoli or egg rolls. Yeah. That was just not. There's done. no question about that. I just don't think that was done. And our whole approach that this is just fun. I think that was different too. You know, I think that um, before Phantom Gourmet, nobody in that world would even consider mentioning chicken parm because their colleagues were going to say they don't serve chicken parm in Sicily. Yeah. And we were like, I don't know, people like it. They like poo-poo platters. Yeah. You know, like, why why can't this be fun? I always thought that the wine industry made a major mistake making people afraid to order wine. Yeah. Why couldn't you just say, like, wine is great, it's tasty. Right. And if you happen to want a Chardonnay with your steak, have a party. Why, why are we trying to shame everybody? Exactly. So I think our approach is, um, has been down to earth and fun. But I, I'll tell you what, I, I think that our crew has probably won... 30 or 40 Emmy Awards. They're making five-minute stories where that have been thoroughly scouted, researched, written, produced, shot, edited. You know, I, I was a young guy when I first started doing this, but I think if you came to me now, I'd be like, but that is way too labor and expensive. You know, right. just, if, like, if I told my father what I spend on the show, he, he would smack me in the face. Right. But <laughs> I think that our product is absolutely awesome. Yeah. And it really makes you want to go to these places. And I think something that we do that's really cool is we find someone like you guys, self-made, hard workers, and we go out there and tell your story. And who else can do that? No, no. I mean, it was a major, major, it was like a huge pivoting uh turning point for us you know and you're doing that with people all around the all around new england 
And then how did the, the drive-in stuff happen? What's, well, I don't even know what that is. So, <laughs> well, oh, no, huge, beautiful drive-in, like one of the, one of the last ones left. Yeah. Right. And it's, uh, and no, it's, I'm really proud of it. Um, yeah. My brother, Michael, I mentioned him earlier. He went to Georgetown business school. He's a very bright guy. And he calls me one day and he says, uh, I know you're going to think this is stupid. I think we should buy the Menden twin drive-in. And I go, I like it. He goes on for 20 more minutes and I go, but uh, I don't think you heard me. I, I like it because mm. I understood right away that it was a business that we could go in and really improve. So it's a two screen driving out in Menden, Massachusetts. For those of you who don't know, that's out towards Hopkinton where they start the marathon. Yep. It can fit 700 cars. It's got a snack bar. It's got an ice cream stand. And, uh, and we wound up buying the business and there used to be four or 5,000 drive-ins in the country. I think now there's maybe 300, you know, most of them now are Home Depots or something else. And we went in there and for about two years, we really spent our time and money maintaining the nostalgia, but bringing new modern twists and turns to it. So yeah. we built a beer garden called uh, Pop's Beer Garden after my dad. We renamed the snack bar, Judy's Snack Bar, and we added uh, pizza, different things. We, you know, the lines used to be maybe 45 minutes. We managed to get it down to seven, you know, and I sort of did a little bit of what you guys do, which mm. is I sat there all night, mm -hmm. usually like with teenage kids and be like, wait a minute. I think the popcorn machine has to go over here and the yeah. burger machine has to go over here. Sausage takes six minutes. We can't do that anymore. Here's how I think we can make our fried dough better. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. Different ways to park the cars. We put in music and a slide and started running uh, events during the day or different events at night. Like we do a Rocky Horror Picture Show twice a year. <laughs> they are the mm. best customers. They come, they're weird. They have the <laughs> best time. They eat, they drink, they behave themselves. They're yeah. awesome. So we just, we brought, you know, maybe a hundred innovations to that business nobody ever really seen before. But I go there and um, it just puts me in such a good mood because it's one of those businesses where it's a combination of families, people on dates, right. older couples that have been doing it for a long time, teenagers. Every year we have a bunch of wedding proposals. You know, we awesome. added a big, uh, if you know the tent in Quincy, used to be the big nightclub where all the Patriots hung out. So that was owned by a guy named, uh, well, it was owned by Ed Kane. Then it was owned by Frankie Di Pasquale, mm -hmm. who actually has great Italian restaurants. Yes, he does. And I was hanging out with him one day and he said, you just bought that drive-in, right? And I, and I said, yeah. And he said, could you use the tent? And I go, the tent? Mm. Where Tom Brady used to party? Yeah. He goes, yeah. And I go, how much? And I'm thinking he's going to say 50, 75,000. He goes, you can have it. Wow. So I called one of our employees. I said, go check it out. It was in Quincy. And he said, um, for 8,000, we can fix it, bolt it, move it. So I called my brothers. And uh, I don't know which of the three brothers in your company is the one that, you know, does what I do, which is to call them and go, I want us to own the tent. Mm -hmm. It's only going to cost us 8,000. And they go, well, what are we going to do with that? I go, I don't know. <laughs> I just know that's cool and it's definitely worth more than 8000 <laughs> So we moved it out there and now we do like PTA functions and wedding rehearsals wow. and, you know, like just all these things that nobody ever done in that industry before. Yeah. And uh, it's really great. If you've never been there, uh, I would suggest that, you know, there's going to be an amazing slate of movies this year because Hollywood is now finally caught up on production. Yep. And they've also decided that they were passing up all the movie money to put stuff on their streaming services, and that probably doesn't make sense. Yeah. So there's going to be this amazing string of movies. But like last year, when we played Top Gun, it was like, you know, for eight weeks, bang. I mean, we were banged out every night. I don't think we're ever going to have another movie star like Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. That, and, and that, that movie is, was awesome, by the way. It was great. The new and one's and awesome. to see it on the big screen under the stars. Yes. 
we, we were the best place to see that movie in New England. Just like if there's a Star Wars movie in December, we stay open because yeah. when you when you see those movies under the stars or like Jurassic yeah. Park, it's spectacular. We wound up we wound up uh, actually renting the place for an Adam Sandler movie because Sandler's guys, whenever there's a big movie like that, they all come to our drive-in to see it. Really? Yeah. Is there anything more American than watching Top Gun at a drive-through? Well, I was I was so happy that it was just kind of like this old school yeah, American. These guys are handsome, mm. and we're gonna root for the good guy kind of yeah. movie. You know, how does it work though in the movie industry? Like, how do you know which movies you can like play or which ones you can't by the rights firm? Yeah, or it's funny that you say that. We had these weird moments when we bought the drive-in and. Um, you know, like we're just like little kids. So when we first bought it, we're walking around and we go to the inside the snack bar and we go, you know, we can have all the popcorn and soda we want. There's nothing anybody can do about it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then we realized that we were going to be directly in business with Fox, Disney. Right. We write them a check based on the percentage of sales. And usually you have a, a broker who goes to them to cut your deals. But, you know, it's a for people sometimes think like we're just playing movies from 1960. It's a first run movie theater. So um, if the movie is coming out on Thursday or Friday, we have it and oh, we'll really? play it for two or three weeks. Or like in the case of Minions or Top Gun mm -hmm. or Jurassic Park, you might play it for eight weeks. And another thing that we did that was different in that business was we really extended the season. So we'll be open in March. And we'll run right through January 1 if the no weather kidding. allows. So a much, much longer season. So we're basically now only closed in January, February, which you have to because of the weather. But um, we also, you know, we have repairs. I mean, something that I take pride in mm. is reinvesting back into our businesses. So I always mm -hmm. have my projects that I want to do. Or like if you watch Phantom Gourmet, you'll notice that uh, every two, three years, we have a completely new graphics package. Yes. And as soon as you put it on, a few people call and complain and go, I, I hate that new look. Mm -hmm. But two weeks later, they can't remember. So right, exactly. it, it's better to start it earlier than later. I know one of my friends from that owns a lot of Dunkin' Donuts told me, you have to remodel now every five years just to stay current. It's not. It's no longer even an investment in your business. You just have to do it. You have to do it. You have to do it. So, last question. What is the best advice you can give a young entrepreneur, somebody just starting out, that you wish that you, know, you had that cheat code that well, you knew back then? I'll give you a piece of advice that my dad gave me when I was like in my 20s. I was, I was complaining. I, was, I don't know what it was. He said, I'll never forget it. He said, David, life is not a fraternity party. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to remember that. You know, it's gonna be hard. People are gonna hurt your feelings. They're not gonna be fair. You're yeah. gonna have a. It's hard. I think the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur is the grind. Yes, it never stops. Right, it, and it will never stop. They're gonna call you and say there's a hole in the roof. The chef quit. That it, it that never stops. Right. Um. If I was gonna give a young person uh, advice, and I'm not really one to give advice, but I would say. This has worked really well for me. I get up every day about 5.30 or 6. I read the Wall Street Journal, basically um, all of it. Mm. Not, not the stock prices, but everything that's happening, yep. I like to know about. It helps me know what's happening with you, what's happening with Ernie Bach, what's happening with my friend that's in insurance and yep. cars. You know what I mean? I, I sort of know yep. what's going on. Um, and I get it on the Kindle because I wake up so early. A lot of times my journal hasn't arrived or they throw it in a bush. So I get it on the <laughs> Kindle and then, uh, and then I work out hard for an hour. Nice. And so by the time nine o'clock rolls around and I'm ready to leave my house, 
my mind's working good. My body's working good. I think if you were a younger person, that's something that I got into a little later in life, yep. but I probably should have started that when I was about 18 or 22. And yep. you know, I just think that you want to form those habits early. Yeah. You know, that's you great gotta, advice. You got to take care of yourself. And, and I find that um, not only do I feel better physically when I work out, but a lot of the problems that have been rolling around in my mind, I work out while I'm lifting weights, 100%. while I'm running, while I'm boxing, all of a sudden it kind of comes to me. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. That's 100%. I've had the same the same experience. Do you have any advice with like, because you're in the review space, right? I'm, I'm assuming there's been a ton of times where you guys had internal conversations of like, why don't we re we review a different industry? Why don't we review no. the car business or whatever, any other business? Like, How important do you think it was for you guys to stay niche? In the restaurants. Well, first of all, I don't really consider us in the review business. I, yeah. I think we're in the sort of information and entertainment right. business. You know, in other words, as I started to really think about it years ago, I was like, how do you even really review a restaurant? In other words, like right. your place isn't for everybody. Mm -hmm. I happen to love it. Mm -hmm. and I think our audience loves it. But, you know, it's not. I, I, how do you even say, you know, I, right. I, 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 there's people that do not want to pay $73 for a steak. Right. I think that's ridiculous. You know, my parents have never had sushi, so we're not really in that space. Um, I think all businesses always have to be asking yourself, what business are we in, right? And certainly I've had people say, you should do breweries, you should do golf courses, you, you know, you should do all these things. But um, I always resisted that because I think that we're good at this and we're really good at this. And I've continued to see growth in this. I think yeah. the really... The tough challenge can be you realize there is going to be no more growth. And it's like, what are we going to do now? Right. Then you can say, this is what we are. And some businesses, and by the way, sometimes it's rational. They say, we've had an Italian restaurant for 50 years and our kids don't want to do it. And we're not going to replace the carpet or the menu. We're going to right. ride this thing out until the end of our lease. Right. Um, I don't think that will ever happen to me because I'm too excited about what we're doing. And if I wasn't going to reinvest my time and money into it, yeah. I think I'd sell it. Right. And exactly. Get out of it. Yeah. But yeah, we, we, we talk about that. And even when we decided to sort of stop with reviews, it was like, are we really not going to do reviews anymore? And then you realize, you know, it's okay. The, the space has changed. I find that restaurant owners are very reluctant to reduce their menu. You know what I mean? They're right. Like, well, I have four people that like the black and chicken Alfredo. Well, that's not enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think part of what a lot of owners, including me, learned during the pandemic was less is more. Right. Right. Let me, I had 48 things on my menu. Uh, let me just do 29 of them really well. Yeah. I used to stay up until one in the morning. I'm going to stay up until 11 in the morning. I, mean, I just talked with a, a guy that I think owns some of the best restaurants in Massachusetts. And he said, you know, after 11 o'clock, you can get Caesar salad, shrimp cocktail, I can't have my chefs there all night long, right. you know, and I've found in my life, um, less tends to be more, you know, I'm, I'm even at my house, I'm very much of a minimalist. You know? Yeah. I just like, I must've gone to Goodwill or Savers or Salvation Army at least once a month, the last two years. Cause I had time and I'm like, I don't need all this stuff. And I gotta tell you, like, my mind works better now. I'm more mm. relaxed in my house. I try to keep my car like that, my office like that. Like, I think Americans are just accumulating too many things. Yeah. You know, you don't need all these things. Yeah, that's great advice. All right, everybody. So 
Dave Andelman, thank you so much for coming. This, this is was great. fun, you guys. I, I, again, I want to say I did not get the red wine and meatballs that I was expecting. But other than that, this was really well. Wait, was, the day <laughs> the day is the day is young. The day is young. We have uh, we have plenty of time. We can head over to the restaurant after right, meatballs. And I know your new place is opening soon, and I'm all excited. Congratulations! I I, I really uh, I love. I love watching you guys uh, do your thing. I love that your brothers like us. I love that you're so down to earth and so hardworking. And uh, I wish you guys all the best. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave. All right, that's a wrap.